0: Not your average operator. Not your average operator. Not your average operator. Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden, sitting here with my usual two idiots. We got uh, To back. How are you going, mate?
1: <laughs> I want to make a. I want to make a comment about that collar. Um I'm not going to. I'm doing really good, mate. How are you doing, man? I'm just Uh this is this is for you, Mike. I've been outside doing mountain man things, chopping wood. I've been I no no kidding. I woke up this morning and took the chainsaw out and uh, trying to build up my firewood for for the season. So that's what yeah, I've been right doing. On. Yeah. And hey, how are you man.
0: going there? How are you going, Mike? Pretty good. Short and shop, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> We're we're keeping it short and sharp because because we've got a wonderful guest. I know you guys would have seen the the show notes. We've got Liz who's uh, joining us. How are you going there, Liz?
2: Oh, how are you?
0: Yeah, really good, really good. We you know less of these two idiots, more about you. So we will have we, we've put a bit of info there in the show notes for people to read. But is it alright if you just tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you know these two idiots?
2: Absolutely. So. I met them in 2012, so I used to fly uh, Blackhawks with them. Uh, and uh, I was able to kind of meet them in just kind of their own capacities, doing their own work. Uh, I'm a medevac pilot, so, you know, obviously when soldiers get hurt, you become very, very popular. So one of them used to do uh, duty with me, uh, Tio was actually the person who had my back at all times because, you know, we're not allowed to have weapons because you have the big red crosses and stuff. And he really protected my six for almost the entire deployment. And then uh, Mike basically just annoyed my guys the entire time uh, (laughs) and talked about Steelers football, which, I mean, could have done without. But, you know, it was nice to have met him. (laughs) I I would mm, Partially
3: right. Partially right. Uh, I would like to say I I like to bring some uh, livelihood to the medevac group. Uh, I I would pop over occasionally dressed as a Taliban fighter, uh, a Lithuanian, Romanian, uh, you know, whatever. The tracksuit was nice. The tracksuit that I brought some laughter to the group because sometimes it was just very quiet in there. Uh, the Cowboys would be on TV, and they were always losing, so the mood was down. See, I was trying to bring some positivity to, you know, some of those days over there that were long, so thank you.
2: So, obviously, we didn't have the locks on our doors, That's basically what we're saying. I still would have got
0: in. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, Liz, you deployed with these guys in 2012, and when did you start flying?
2: Uh, So I started flying uh, my senior year of high school. So when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, um, my mom said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to do aviation. And she goes, great. You want to be a stewardess. That's wonderful. And I said, no, mom, I I, want to be a pilot. And she goes, oh, that's good, too. That's really great, honey. And so, you know, after she kind of got over her embarrassment, I'm pretty sure she came to levels of red that I've never seen in my life. Um, she helped me kind of get through my private pilots. So I started flying in 2004, 2005, received my private pilot. I went to Embry riddle aeronautical university, got my multi commercial multi-engine instrument fixed wing. Uh, and then I went on to flying helicopters, which is the best thing that you can do with your pants still on. So as some of y'all know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's an absolute fact. So I, I'm curious, what um, did you, so was there any aviation history in your family whatsoever? Were there any pilots or anybody involved in aviation in your family, like extended family?
2: So no, I uh, I actually had a mentor. So I was in JROTC in high school um, and that made a significant impact in my life. And my senior army instructor was actually an Apache pilot. I mean, I don't hold him against him now that I know better, but you know, he was an Apache pilot and he said, you know, I think you could do this. And I I was like, I'm not sure I can. He's like, you can, you can absolutely do this and I'm going to help you. So he helped me fill out my uh, scholarship forms and, and stuff like that for Embry-Riddle because there was no way I was going to pay for it by myself and then i got a four year scholarship and a lot of the stuff was because he took interest in me and then the i had older brothers that got in trouble a lot and the police officer that was in charge of you know just kind of checking in on the school said you're you're one of these siblings right and i said absolutely and he goes okay what do you want to do with your life and i said i think i want to do aviation he goes i want to show you something and he brought me into his office and he was a F-15 pilot. He was retired from the Air Force. And he said, you know, this could be you if you work hard and keep your nose clean and stuff. So those two mentors that really took time out of their schedule to really tell me that, yes, you can do this and you can be somebody and you can achieve your dreams is really what started me on this path.
0: It's such a That is such a great uh intro into into you there liz because everyone needs a push you know like these when you have these i guess you could call them big dreams that the four of us have had when we're at school it can be like you know movie stuff and an impossible step to go from you being this school person into that you know that idea you have to have two people both push in that that's that is pretty amazing and like the first step is the belief, right? Like before the form filling in and where to go and all that sort of stuff, someone to say, you could do this. That's an extraordinary uh, thing to have right off the bat. And so so then you went to uni, you did your four year uh, program there, picked up your multi-engine, your uh, CPL. And then what happened?
2: And then I joined the army and went to flight school just like everybody else who uh who joins and uh you know serve my country and met these two yayhos, but kind of along the way, uh, you know, just met some pretty amazing people that have really hit the mark to strive forward and then some issues that I've I've seen uh going through my career and just kind of expectations that are. A little bit wrong, to be honest.
0: Right. And are you happy to sort of tell us about where you are now? Like what what your sort of experience has been recently? You don't have to obviously give any details.
2: Well, absolutely. So right now I'm a pilot in command. So I have about 900 hours or so. I have 100 people that I work over and in charge of. And I have the most aircraft in the fleet. Um, so a lot of people, a lot of equipment and a lot of responsibility and a lot of subordinate leaders, uh, within my organization. And of course, with any organization, there's always somebody on top of you as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty amazing run you've had to come through now that like 90 people, uh, you know, leading and managing 90 people is a significant job for anyone. And you know you do look quite young. I would say I'll just throw that out there. So, like, well done uh, coming I, from coming from high school and running running through to that stage is awesome. Go ahead, Raf.
1: Yeah, I was just want to say something because I think she left this out, and I think this is pretty important for the listeners to understand: is that the medevac mission is hands down the most important aviation mission. Period. The like everyone has their job, right? Like Black Hawk Assault World has their job, and. You know whether you get a win or not, it shapes the the field or whatever. The Apache is the same thing. Sometimes they hit their target. Ninety percent of the time, they don't hit their target, but they're there. They're, at least they're trying. And so we appreciate that. Fifty-eights. <laughs> you know, my hats off. Always the fifty-eight guys because those are and because they were, were always in it to win it. Um, but the medevac mission, it's so important. Uh, and the reason I know this because I used to talk a lot of garbage about uh, Liz and her people, um, like. It was friendly banter, but in my heart, I was like, "Assault's better." Until I was thrusted into a medevac unit, and then it dawned on me: there's ground units that won't move a finger if medevac isn't up. It's literally, it, it's it. There's a direct correlation between morale on the battlefield and what men and will, men and women are willing to do um, if medevac units are up, at, spooled up, and ready to go. The minute a medevac unit is not 100%. Like literally within hundreds of miles of that of that battle space, m- maneuvering commanders will not move. Like they're just like absolutely not because there's such a correlation with motivation and what people are willing to do. So it, it's it's literally one of those, and you don't understand it until you're there. You're like holy hell, like you know. And then I and as a maintenance officer. Uh, when I was in the medevac, I mean, there were there, you know, I'd be not talking because it would be someone like Liz talking to the to the officer on the other end. But they'd be like, "When when are these aircraft gonna get up?" Because it's an absolute no fail mission, and there's a lot of pressure to perform in like the worst possible conditions, middle of like the calls always come in the middle of the night, in the middle of a thunderstorm or snowstorm, uphill both ways. You know, it's just it's like the most ridiculous thing.
3: Yeah, I'd like to say as a, you know, as a ground guy, every time we went out. It's great to have the attack, you know, attack weapons teams up there and, and everything and then that's when everything's going really well, but, as you know, for contingencies as a ground guy we take a casualty. I want the medevac like we need to get we need to get our guys out and kind of go into the topic today. Um, I think it's a great topic. But ultimately, I don't give a damn who's flying that damn thing. I, I want that I want that aircraft in and to pick up my wounded and, and get them out of there and save their life, uh, ultimately. Uh, so I agree with you, Raf, is the most important part of planning is part of contingencies is, OK, we can plan for everything to go right. But also when shit hits the fan and it goes wrong and one of the Afghanistan is probably one of the wor- worst environments imaginable with the weather, the altitude and and there's a bunch of bad people trying to kill you. Um, (laughs) The medevac was always like, can we get them in there? How would we get them in there? And then I remember having multiple conversations within that tent before those missions saying, Hey, if it does go bad, this is where we're going to call you in at and just be, you know, it has the potential to be terrible. So just be heads up, but hats off because, Chase which we call Raph Blackhawk Raph's Blackhawk crew with the guns and medevac they went every time so we never had any issues at least on my side with them they're always there for us so just throwing that out there
2: absolutely the thought was just not if we were going to go but how we're going to get there and how we're going to make this happen because the most important thing is to make sure that sons and daughters get home to their families so we we take that mission very very seriously and, you know, maybe push a little bit, maybe a little bit towards the comfort level. But, I mean, absolutely, those people on the ground are the most important part. And we just find a way to make it happen.
1: Yeah, and just to give a small, just a small depiction of, what, like, the extent and the limits that, that these crews push. In 2012, we ended up losing a chase bird. Um, they were actually going to... um and Liz, I'm, you could probably talk more on the details, and we don't we don't have to. But I'm just going to give you like a quick 30 second. Anyways, they, they were going to. Um, it was a medevac call, and the chase bird they flew into some ter- terrible weather. Um, it was the middle of the night. I think it was like wasn't it like two in the morning or something? Like it was just yes, middle it of the was night. Definitely I mean, dark, dark. Yeah, yeah. Visibility was not the the best, but again, it's that sense of urgency trying to you know help people in, in their worst possible day. And unfortunately, you know. Well, we lost an entire crew but that's again sometimes these crews push the limit and it's because they know that any one of us would do it for them as well right like it's easy to put yourself in the in those shoes like Mike's shoes sort of speak because if Mike was in my shoes he would do everything he could to to fly his helo in to get me out of there so unfortunately sometimes that's just what happens but they I, I can't I can't overstate just how how quickly the uh, situations can deteriorate, especially in medevac, because it's everything's short notice everything, you know, that phone rings, it's, and it's just like the movies, like, it's dead quiet, everybody's asleep, uh, you know, and then suddenly, the phone goes off, and everybody's scrambling and like, you know, you're like halfway, you're as you're pulling collective, you realize your chin straps off and your seatbelt isn't on, you're like, what the shit? Like, it's just more times than not, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. So hats off to, to everybody in, in that world, man. I'm actually really grateful that I got to participate and I got to be in a unit that was deployed in the medevac.
3: So, um, great background and kind of reminiscing there is really good. Um, But let's jump jump into the topic about uh, why we have Liz on today. So, I think this is a great part as a reference in there. Like, I don't care really who's flying that medevac bird as long as you can do your job and and, and get the wounded out. Like that's, that's the objective. And I really don't care. Um, but Liz, if you want to kind of jump in and introduce your, your topic for today, uh, which you already kind of alluded to a little bit, which is good, but uh, just for the listeners, if you want to take it from here.
2: Absolutely. So this is really a discussion about why men should mentor females. So if you take my personal example of two males that took significant interest in me, to push me forward and to really affirm my ability to complete a mission, a goal, a dream. Uh, These are very important things that females need just as much as males. However, there's a little bit of a hesitancy for men to mentor females because of of different situations that we will discuss later. Um, but, But really mentorship as a whole whether you're male or female, is very significant for networking, for bouncing ideas off of somebody, for finding a way when you can't find it, for having somebody to talk to and to really de-stress or talk out your next steps forward. Whether you're a male or or a female, it doesn't really matter. Both of are important to really have mentorship and just really you know, have that diversity with your mentors. So having a female mentor, having a male mentor in different stages of your career can really help you become a successful human being, whether it's in the military or civilian side or in a private organization, it really helps with the bonding of the entire corporation.
0: Yeah, there's, um, I'm way through an MBA, Liz, and there's just so much research on the businesses and probably military units too, but the stuff that I read, Harvard Business Review type stuff, the diversity, especially at the leadership level, improving the quality of the decision making and improving the profitability of the businesses. So diversity, obviously gender diversity there and all other types of diversity to have those people from different backgrounds who are going to understand situations differently, just going to get more quality information into the decision-making matrix and then better decisions come out of it. So it's like a a critical thing that you have to have and how do you develop people, you know? So could you just define in this conversation what you mean by mentor?
2: Uh, So for me, mentoring is really being a person that takes a significant interest into somebody, it's a relationship that you have between two people, not a familiar or a sexual type relationship, but a a bond that you have with a different human being um, where you take interest into their uh, ability to accomplish dreams manage tasks and move forward and improve the organization as a whole
1: have have you had any difficulty so I'm I'm thinking out loud I'm just trying to play devil's advocate but I'm assuming that some men probably had especially depends what era they're coming from like the older you know the, the generation that's kind of gone ahead of you and I Liz well actually I'm older than you significantly but anyways probably you know I'm thinking of like Colonel Hines although he was he's a tremendous leader. So he's probably not the one I'm referring to, but I assume that there's a a generation of of leaders in the, not just the military, just probably in the, even in the business world that probably have a difficult time trying to navigate that. Like, even if like, let's say if you happen to cross paths with somebody and they're like, I love, like, obviously you're a promising young lady, you know, in your early twenties and somebody saw something in you, but I wonder if, have you ever come across where maybe you got, you can, you had the feeling that that person just didn't feel comfortable because they didn't want to Come off like they're like they're hitting on you or trying to have an inappropriate relationship because I imagine that that's going to be a little, that's got to be a little tricky, right? Absolutely. For I, mean, I mean, you're an attractive woman, so it, it like in this day and age, it's easy for for signals to get misconstrued or be like, ah, I was just trying to be helpful. Now I'm coming off like a jerk. I, I, have you come across that? I mean, how do you navigate that? Because that that's got to be something that's difficult on not difficult, but it can be challenging on both ends, and it could kind of blow up in your face, so to speak.
2: Right. So. Uh, when I was a commander, so in, uh, the general support aviation battalion, there's seven commanders total, right? So basically most of them are all peers and my commander that was on top of me said, you know, Hey, can you all come to a barbecue? But he invited every single person, but me. So I got text messages from my other colleagues saying, Hey, where are you at? Why aren't you at this barbecue? And I just sent back, I said, I wasn't even invited. You know, and so they were able to have a relaxing time with their boss, get mentorship, talk about goals, talk about where the organization was going. And I wasn't even invited to that table. And then, you know, that that same person uh, also when I talked to him would just try to minimize the conversation or get the conversation out as much as possible. So I would go in there with an issue and I had to know exactly what my issue was and get out of there in like 90 seconds or less. Cause if not, it made him extremely uncomfortable to talk to females. And the problem was that my, right-hand woman was a woman. So you had me as a female, my other person as a female, and they just didn't want to connect with me because, Oh, I'm a female. And I didn't know what to do with that. And so I just missed out on two years of growth in a significant position because my boss just didn't want to talk to us.
3: So let's, let's break some of those reasons down about maybe we can all kind of open the conversation here about why why that happened or or some of the reasons. So let, let's kick
0: it off. Go ahead, Melon. Like I, I reckon since the me too there has been a an increased level of concern from men and women in the workforce that there could be either the perception of or actually uh, have an issue around interactions that could be perceived to be uh, inappropriate. And I think that this so this this lack of um, male mentoring of women is a, a big thing. Like after you sent this topic through, I went and did I went and did a bunch of reading and I like I was like, oh man, that's a difficult thing. I know it's a difficult thing. And we shy away from it a bit. And that was why we're like, yeah, this is the perfect topic for us to 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 work through with with you. The the fact that it could come up that there's perception of an inappropriate relationship. Concern about p- perhaps that uh, souring and having an allegation made, feelings of um, your spouse or the other person's spouse perceiving that there could be something going wrong, leads your your situation is very uh, common in the literature to have the it's fifty percent of the population not getting the development that. that they need to achieve, to get these organizations, businesses, military units to perform at the level that we need them to. And we're selling ourselves short, like they're our sisters, they're our wives, they're our daughters, and they're missing out. And you know, I I think it's it's a critical thing that does need to be addressed. And I think that there's certainly, it looks like that there's a natural hesitation for men to put themselves in that position with women, when they'll more naturally do it with a junior guy they've had those sorts of relationships through like sporting teams. And, you know, you, there's a lot of research, you identify people who um, look like you, that you naturally would, a man will go to a man. It's just a natural thing. And having to overcome that is a thing. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think.
2: So absolutely. So, but you get to choose whether or not you be a mentor to a female. I don't get that option. I work with mostly men in my life Mm. every single day. I don't Mm. get to choose to be a part of their life, to be a part of their dreams, to be a part of the success because I work with them. Y'all choose whether or not you're able to do that. Um, But know that there are benefits both on the mentor and the mentee side that you are missing out on. I have a different perspective. Uh, I know that Mike, uh, when y'all were starting this organization, uh, actually called me to talk to me. And there's been a few times in his career that he has called me about his steps forward. Uh, so we kind of have, we where we kind of have a rotating, you know, at one point I'll be the mentor for him. And at one point he'll be the mentor for me, because that's the kind of relationship that we have. But you you miss out on a different perspective that you may not get if everybody who's thinking the same way is giving you advice. So I think that with the Me Too movement, there is a hesitancy to uh, say the wrong thing or to do the wrong thing. But if you've already built that relationship with somebody or if you're building a relationship and you are taking steps to invest in them, they're more likely to tell you, Hey, that makes me uncomfortable. Or I'd appreciate it if we did it in a open forum. So like go to the cafeteria and have dinner or lunch with them. And that's the way that you start this relationship. It doesn't have to be grabbing beers on a Saturday night in a low lit um, restaurant. It could be in a, a highly visible place to really start this relationship? Go ahead.
0: Like I'm really clear on the benefits for the uh, this senior and the junior person in a mentor relationship. Like the person at the top is going to get feedback and information that they wouldn't otherwise have about what's actually happening at the coal face. They're going to get awareness of issues. They're going to have the opportunity to have fresh energy and fresh eyes and all of those. Like I'm really clear on what those benefits are. But I was, I'm was, i like, when I started reading, I really read that this is a real major problem, much a much more common problem, probably than people think, that there is there is a breakdown in uh, men in senior positions, not putting the time and the energy into developing the younger women. And I'm like, you know, trying to just get out like why we think that's the case.
1: That, and- right. I have a question for Liz. Do you think this is a gener like, do you think this is going to get solved generationally? Cause I I'm wondering if, for instance, I grew up with women, right. In flight school, at least a quarter, uh, I mean, the literally the undergraduate of our flight school class was a woman. So I, since I, you know, while I was in the military, I was, um, especially in the warrant officer part of my career. Um, I was, I always had women in leadership positions, right? Like it was kind of a natural, it, it was natural to see Liz in the that position that she was. Cause I, I knew her as a friend, I knew her as a, as a cohort. I, and then I saw her as she progressed in the, on the commission side to be, you know, whole leadership position. So for me, it would be perfectly natural to see her as a commander or, you know, I, I just, I'm curious to see if maybe it's a generational thing and it's, and it, like it will be more commonplace to have this mentor and like, you know, we're suddenly like, I don't care that she's a woman. Like I'm going to, if I was the commander, I'd like to think that somebody in my year group would be like, yeah, absolutely. Like let's, let's go ha- grab a beer and talk about some of the issues I'm facing as a battalion commander and that you're going to face in five years when you become a battalion commander. Like uh, do you, Liz, do you think we're kind of heading in that direction? Do you think the it's a generational thing at this time, or do you think it's, it's some other hurdles we have to overcome to get there?
2: Well, I think it is something that we need to work towards, you know, as we continue as females continue to be a part of the volunteer force, uh, the workforce and and different types of uh, jobs, we continue to kind of break those molds and move forward. But definitely if you're, I'm the senior female in my organization right now, or you know, there's no real anybody for me to look up to in my organization because everybody I have that's around me is is junior for me. So we're kind of making steps forward. But my significant other is an engineer at a nuclear power plant, or at least he was. And he said, "Well, you know, when I had a female mentor, I, I didn't really take her anywhere. I didn't really show her anything. You know, it, when they had an intern or something, they had a male, they would take him." Downtown, they would take them to different spots and grab a beer together, take them to different events and really have a great time as an internship because you're trying to get these people interested in being part of the organization. He said, When it's a female, I I talk to her at work and I I tell her stuff at work and that that's it. I was like, Well, what about you know, like showing her around and showing that she's a part of this team that you really want to join an organization? And he's like Oh, that would just make me uncomfortable. And I, I wouldn't do that. I was like, Oh no, this is my own significant other, the other, like, you know, I have this job and this is a part of my life. And he's like, yep, yeah, I just wouldn't do it.
3: So I, w- I would like to say, <clears throat> and, and kind of what you're jumping into. And, you know, when we talked yesterday, you brought up the point of like a lot of women are entering MOS's or rates or whatever for the military now that are traditionally, uh, all male right so there's transition so there's a female green beret now on army ranger and and you know different pilots there's women on submarines you know kind of everything and it's a male dominant field um my question kind of thing is is it is it the female's fault that she's there Is, is that where the issue lies is it fall within the males and and their view and how they are or this is what i believe is it the military system that doesn't allow the unity to happen.
0: Go ahead. Like, it's it's not just military. Like when I when I did some reading leading up to this, but there's like a, a bunch of really good articles in the in the Harvard Business Review, and it's it's across all corporations and businesses. It's it's super widespread, and a lot of people don't even know they're doing it. Like I think that this podcast is actually a really good awareness piece that that this is just something that is happening. And it's not, it's not intentional. Like Liz is just saying her partner's um, accidentally done the same thing. And there's a, there's a whole bunch of uh, stuff that I was reading where they're working through it well and they're putting in place structured mentoring programs where there are like allocated diversity in the program. Like you have to have equal numbers or representative number based on the proportion in your workforce of men and women and other, uh, other ways of breaking down the diversity. To have time allocated... In the workforce, so it's it's like a professional program that's being run. It's not beers with the guys at the bar, you know, watching the Steelers, and and you can you can embed it so that it it gets um, so it gets done. And like I've seen I've seen some of these some of these great programs, other stuff where that you know they include spouses to come along for both the junior and senior person for like social events, work events, everyone meets, and it just puts it all out makes it super open and clear. Go ahead, Liz.
2: And that's a a very good point because a lot of this is because a spouse is uncomfortable. And that was a conversation that I had with my significant other because of the job that I have, I have calls at two o'clock in the morning and most likely it's going to be from a man, right? And they're going to say, Hey, this thing is happening. I need you to meet me here and come help me out. And I told him, I said, I'm going to have people text me at inappropriate times. I'm going to have people call me late at night and they're going to be the other sex. And I just want you to know. And that was a conversation that we had a very deliberate conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've had very deliberate conversations with, you know, him about these are the people that work for me. I ensure that every time I see them, I introduce them. And that there is a conversation there. And if you kind of bring your spouse into it, it doesn't become the threat of she's trying to steal my man or, you know, something like that. If you are a professional, that comes with time. And if you establish a relationship that is is not um, sexual in nature and it's professional in nature, yes, you may get the uh, people that automatically assume that you're in a relationship but if you have that professional demeanor and your engagements and how you talk about that person, uh, to your significant other, that'll help with getting them comfortable with the relationship as a whole.
3: I, I think, I think that's a valid point and, and I think it's a great approach and going back to my statement, you know, is it, is it a, a female problem? Is it a male problem? I don't think so because having conversations like these, I think we can find a really healthy balance and a a solution. My personal opinion is I believe, and Mel and I agree that it's all throughout corporate and military. But let's just focus on military for this point in this example. Is you know, especially being special operations. So if we have a female that's fully capable of coming in and she and she can make it through selection hey, if you can pull your weight and you can do the job, I have zero issues with you doing here. Like, I don't want anything less than do your job and do it well. Like, that's that's the expectation. You can put ego and all that crap aside. But when, like like Liz said, when you're working late nights and you're together and you're out in the middle of the field or uh, doing something, we're a very, very, very tight unit. And the system says, well, she has to sleep separate. She has to be able to do these different things because she's a female. And then there's a lot of oversight, which, you know, th- this is not bias. This is just what I've seen from these things of new female Green Berets, new female Army Rangers. There's so much oversight from the top and from society because everything's on social media. So everybody can chime in, everybody throws their opinion, which can influence everything. And it causes such a divide where it, it, it's kind of like from a, from a male perspective, it's just like, dude, we have so much to do. I don't want to sit there and worry about this brass that's overseeing this new female in the unit to make sure that she gets fair, fair treatment. We're treating her fair, but I don't have an extra time to come in and question me about, hey, is everything going all right? Well, so-and-so is interested in you and it causes this whole other layer of work and concern. And it's just stress and i think from from my perspective that's that's the issue she could be the greatest person ever and come in and be physically capable very intelligent and just like she just she's like hey i'm here to be an operator okay period i respect that but i think the system and all the influence and everything of how everybody needs to be comfortable from the organizational view is what's hurting and not allowing that genuine integration into the units and be like, Hey, she's one of ours now she's going to be treated fairly and that's it. And there's a standard and every it's the same for everybody. And stop looking at people as male and female, which PT tests are separate. All this other stuff is separate male and female. But in those type of environments, it's like you're a soldier period. There's no male and female. You're part of the damn team. And the minute that's broken, which I think partly the system does. I think that's where the rift happens, but that's just my opinion.
2: Yeah, and I, I think that the best laid plans of mice and men, you know, at, I think the heart is in the right place, but the execution suffers from that. And the problem is when you have people that are excluded from the room to be able to talk about these issues. It's people trying to figure out the best way to make another sex comfortable when that sex isn't even a part of that conversation. Um, so there's kind of like the execution part of that that is very lacking and some things that, you know, you just won't think about. So have a company uniform, right? So if I wear a small, then it fits me pretty great, but it stretches on my bust and stretches on my bust or on my, on my butt. Um, however, if I wear a medium, the crotch is halfway down my legs. Uh, the shoulders are halfway down my arms. I look like I'm wearing my dad's outfit, you know, to work. And, and they're like, well, she's not professional because the uniform that she's wearing, whether that's a male suit because they don't have any male captains in the airline or female captains in the airlines or any type of corporate type uniform, like, well, why is she wearing something that's super tight? She's just trying to get attention when really it's just not meant for us because we weren't part of that discussion.
0: Yeah, that that highlights like a large part of the issue. When when you are talking about an integrated workforce where you do have men and women working together and not not where perhaps they're the first person coming in in, into a special forces team which i agree mike is a different category stuff has to be organized so that so that it's going to work and you need structures that are going to lead to success and we're talking specifically about you know developing people into you know to get all of the attributes and benefit that we can out of those people so that they're going to be more effective members of the organization that the The whole organisation is going to operate better, and if you can set these things up in the structures, I've seen things where they've they've added accountabilities on the senior leaders. Where if there's not a mentoring program that the senior leaders have them set up, so that they have to initiate them and and have it as a formal thing, rather than because what happens, as Liz has sort of highlighted, in an informal one, guys will tend to mentor guys and young guys get a lot of development opportunity and guidance and coaching for their careers, just in a, it just happens. And if there's not a program, it'll, it will probably exclude women. So I've seen some, some good stuff there was like, keep the content of the program, the same for men and women, keep the content of the meeting, keep the frequency of the interactions, keep the length of the meetings the same. You know, like try to avoid doing it at a bar is like the classic one and not one-on-one and not like meeting for dinner for example, which is just a disaster. And um, there was a really good one from a CEO of a hedge fund, and and she was talking about mentoring women, and she was coaching all of her – she's a CEO of a big hedge fund, and she's coaching all the, the senior managers, and she's like, when it comes to mentoring the women, don't patronize, have high expectations, and make the female mentees carry their own luggage. I was like, they're three good tips, right? like just get, get it out of your mind that you're dealing with something different and just get in there and develop them. Go ahead, Liz.
2: I think uh, one of the hard parts is that a lot of males do not have quite the same relationships with females that females sometimes have with males. Like growing up, I had a lot of male friends, so I was used to a very professional or, or friendly type thing uh, when males have brothers, sisters, husbands, dads, you know, you don't have to be their father or their brother or their work husband or, or something like that. And I think that they kind of take that on. Is that like, that's my daughter and I need to protect her. Mm -hmm. No, you need to push her. You need to challenge her. You need to get her out of her comfort zone to make her strive and be a valued member of a team and also be an advocate for her. So be a cheerleader for her. So a lot of things that you talk about when you talk about research is that power delegation. So your ability to use your credibility and your power to improve another member. So I am a medevac person, right? So I am pretty knowledgeable on medevac. And I can't tell you how many times people have deferred a very Medivac specific question to another party that was a male. I'm like, that's my bread and butter. Like, why are you asking them? Are you like, uh, how about Blackhawks? Anybody know about anything about Blackhawks? I'm like, yes, I'm a Blackhawk pilot. They're like, anybody else? Anybody else in the room? Anybody? Uh, so really, when you're in these board meetings or something like that, and you know that you have a subject matter expert that is a female, they're going to address you as a person of power. And you can deflect that by saying, you know, uh, I think I have some ideas, but really, she's a subject matter expert that can help answer your question, to build her credibility, or to really take on that um, idea of being that cheerleader of this person is a striving uh, young officer, young CEO, young manager, or something like that. And that's how you introduce them. You're automatically putting your own power, your own credibility behind somebody else, which really bolsters them within the organization.
3: All, all very good points, and just some relevancy. Uh, the course that I'm doing right now as a senior enlisted leader is it's 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 mainly up to the, in my opinion, for the military, it's up to the senior enlisted leader to set the culture of what's acceptable and how things go. Um, one of the responsibilities is to uh, obviously mentor uh, junior military personnel, but also mentor the junior officers that are coming in. Uh, so when I met Liz, she was she was, she was a JO. You know, she she was a junior pilot uh, and everything. But and I remember particularly there was a uh, senior enlisted uh, army guy that was that way with her and protected her all the time and mentored the hell out of her uh, and pushed her a lot. And I, I saw that on a daily basis and stuff. So, um, you know, as far as corporations, military, whatever, it it's up to the senior people to show the, everybody what the left and right limits are of the culture. Hey, this is acceptable. If I catch you saying this the wrong way, you're you're going to be reprimanded, right? And hold everybody to the same standard, right? It's not like, hey, you can't say something sexist and then go over to your boy and be like, hey, man, check out her butt. Like, isn't her butt looking great today? You know what I mean? There's no double standard. Um, so I think if you're looking for that, if there is an issue that you need to go to the leadership. And one thing that kind of popped up yesterday is I was on a brief uh, with a guy of the KSK, which is the German special forces, but there was a quote in there um, and and a lesson learned that he had. And he said, one good leader is not enough, especially if something goes sideways. And I think this is such a great uh, topic to apply that to is because if there is something that's weird or somebody perceives as a problem, it's gonna be he said, she said, and probably nothing good is gonna come from it. So maybe having that, like you said, having that open relationship within the cafeteria and the office in a professional setting where there's other good leaders around, one, to observe it that have credibility, but two, hold both of you accountable. Right, so we're all human, we all make mistakes, we had bad times, oh, whatever. And you might say something that can be like misconstrued as to be like, ha, ah. and then that that person's there to be like, hey, almost. And you're like, hey, you're absolutely right. I wasn't even thinking right. You know, I had a bad night or I'm frustrated, you know, whatever, we're all human beings. So uh, just kind of throw that in there as maybe a, an approach. I don't know what you guys think.
1: Raph? Yeah, well, I just was going to say that I think um, it's, a, it's important for, and I think Mike, you, you nailed it. Uh, and so did you Liz, uh, with your points um, house senior leadership at, you know, whether it's military or whatever it is, should take some responsibility in trying to set the structure. But, and this is more for everyone who's not in a leadership position. If you're just one of the worker bees, I think it's incumbent upon, upon yourself to also, because you, could, if, if, if somebody's an effective leader, they're almost always going to kind of reach down to the people that are working underneath the, the leader or working alongside the leader, and they're always going to ask, like, "Oh, how's how's Liz been doing?" And I think it's incumbent upon yourself, if if that uh, female really is a phenomenal soldier, or a phenomenal employee, I I think you need to speak up for her. Like, hey, listen, I, I know that this is a a male dominated world, but you need to understand Liz is a badass. She's like legitimately like we just did a six mile run together and I was ready to quit at three. She was like, stop being a, you know, a P word. I'm like, Oh, (laughs) I mean, I just, I think it's important that it's not just people in leadership positions. I think even at the worker level, whatever you want to call it, like if somebody has earned your respect, you need to be an advocate for that. Like you need to sit there and say, Hey man, like this person here, like we really need to, put some effort into to this person because I think she's she could potentially be the next whatever. Um, and I think that's, you know, because it shouldn't just come. It shouldn't just be from the top down effect. I mean, a lot of times just building that credibility on the ground floor that carries a lot of weight, you know. Well,
3: like you said, in her situation, being in a room of like, who knows about Blackhawks? Who knows about Medivac? <laughs> the people in that room who her your peers, I take it should have been like, hey, right here. She, she's the expert. And, and like you said supported her and be like you talk to this one if you want to talk about medevac like it should be a a team effort there's some humility
0: there like hey i'm not the best guy just because i'm a dude she's the expert talk to her that's like the 100 like bottom-up way of doing it where you advocate for the people around you and as exactly what you're saying there rap like you can you know you can become known as a champion like i know that in certain workforces, we all know the people who are the frigging a-holes and the ones who are the ones who have that high EQ. They spread the trust in the organisation, like you talked about a couple of episodes ago, Raph, and they're empowering people around them to achieve and and get developed. I've also seen some of the companies where they've had, they're trying to avoid the problems, they're trying to make it more easy for the business, for the people on the top, and the people that want. get into these programs where they're doing stuff online like they're using tech they're using zoom and uh various uh signaling you know messaging apps and stuff like that to run the programs and to to get them going so that people don't feel awkward so that the junior person can can be engaged with and be developed and it's in a very clear and professional and business-like manner and i saw another one where it was for any junior person male or female the way to to get a mentor on board, a senior person is to go in and absolutely nail something like deliver a project. Like, don't go and knock on the door and say, I want you to develop me turn up really make a difference and let them see how competent you are. Push, push a project ahead. And then that person's going to be in your corner for the, like the rest of the time, you know, them Like, start in on a positive step.
1: And that was the question I had for Liz was, if i was a you know if there's any young aspiring women listening to this right now what would be the advice you would give to to kind of help you know just l- learning off your experiences mistakes and may, whatever positives you had along the way
2: i think the the most important part is is finding your advocate and not trusting everybody so females are generally societally uh kind of relationship based to where there's a, a trust and there's a acknowledgement of a, a shared thought and that helps to build relationships within females. And really, I, I say that probably when I first came in, I was a lot more open and trusting with people. But, you know, sad to say that as I've grown through my career, that trust is given less freely because of stuff that's happened. So I I think that the the biggest thing is is to know that if you have somebody who has come on as your mentor and then it turns into something that you are not looking for, either they cross the line or something like that, you have the ability to say that is not okay that we are terminating this relationship or this is not what I'm looking for. This is not I'm looking to you for advice and guidance and, and movement. I am not looking for a relationship. And it's okay to set that line if somebody crosses it. And it's also okay to ask because we don't want to impede on anybody, or because we have a feeling that we are putting our own issues on somebody else when a guy might just say, Hey, I need some help. You know, we are almost hesitant to share that vulnerability with somebody of, Hey, I need some help because we are afraid that us needing help means that we are not qualified to be in that position. Therefore we have proven that you, your thoughts that we're not supposed to be there. Right. So if I have a really crappy flight or something and I look to, to somebody and said, Hey, I need feedback on how to make this better. That comes with time. Really, when I was younger, I would do a crappy flight and then just like hope, hope he didn't notice that it was a crappy flight. Everybody knows it was a crappy flight, <laughs> but I'm not going to acknowledge it because I don't want to admit that I had a crappy flight, yeah. that I wasn't prepared, or that I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do, or I didn't know that question you're asking me. We have a really hard time admitting that because we're so afraid that somebody's going to be like, you know what? You don't actually belong here. How did you get here? And you're like, I don't know. I don't know how I got here. Um, But you're supposed to be there. Like you have trained for it. You have gone to college for it. You have uh, proved your way into that position. So really owning your own power is very, very important for females as they go through that you are there because you are supposed to be there. You have earned that position and you are not a burden on somebody when you ask them to be your mentor or for help or for clarification. Or if you have learned, uh, education, knowledge, reading, a better way to do stuff, you have the ability to bring that forward and your, um, your opinions are valid and, you know, you can have somebody who advocates for you and that's fine. Uh, But really I, I listened in on a discussion and, and a senior leader said that sometimes when she's in a boardroom, she will say, this is a valid concern. And I need you to pay attention to that. Imagine just being completely called out on all your crap in a boardroom, you know, like, I don't think this is a thing. No, this is a valid concern and we need to address it. it snaps everybody onto the same page at one time.
0: Such powerful points, Liz. That, that is such, like, I think everyone needs to back up like three minutes and listen to that whole thing again. Cause they are like, just right off the top of the, the deck. And the benefit for the, for the the male, we're referring to the male in the senior position at, as the mentor, developing the, the female, mastering all of these things, like having this, you know, perhaps old school reluctance or that innate tendency to avoid this relationship is only going to prolong their lack of mastery in this level of communication and it's needed. And every organization can't afford to give up 50% of the population's talent. We can't afford to not develop it and have our organizations fail. So for the people at the top as well, like mastering these communications, gaining access to the insights and experiences, improving your decision-making and improving your ongoing management and leadership is a massive benefit for you too. So don't go thinking that this is something you want to avoid. You want to definitely master it and you want to be known as someone who's reliable in this area.
1: I I think it's also important to note, um, I remember Bill Gates talking about this years ago, and he was referring to this conversation he had with, um, I I don't think it was specifically just Muslim leaders, um, but he was just saying that if you compare the productivity of nations that uh, basically treat women and men equally as equal partners, their level of productivity is infinitely superior than societies that don't allow their women to flourish, like, you know, especially in the workplace is what he was referring to. So you don't have to look any further than that. I mean, there's, you know, if you just butt up countries like Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, all these other, I don't want to go down the list, but if you just if you just compare these countries to, you know, first, first world countries that absolutely empower somebody like Liz and be like, you could absolutely be a Black Hawk pilot and a commander and whatever the hell else you want to be. Um, I mean, the level of productivity is—it's undeniable. So, for no other reason, you're basically making society better by just taking that uncomfortable, uh, you know, what road, whatever it is, to try to uh, mentor a, a young aspiring woman in, in your in your little uh, workforce. Yep, Liz.
2: And it only becomes uncomfortable because you haven't done it. The more and more you make these relationships, and it becomes a part of your identity the better you off, you become at doing mentorship because that first barrier, the first time you do something, there's always a significant barrier of, Oh my gosh, I'm going to say the wrong thing. It's going to piss off my spouse. It's going to ruin relationships. My coworkers are going to talk about me. You know, you have all these things that build up, but if that becomes part of your identity of, Hey, this, this leader, takes people under his wing, or this leader does not shy away from challenges, or this leader is always supporting males and females. This is the leader that you want in your organization, then it becomes ingrained and it doesn't become awkward or anything like that because you kind of figure out the rules and each person is obviously going to be different and each relationship is different by because it is a relationship. Right. So, but if you can kind of get these experiences, it always starts with that first one, just like it always started with the first captain female that was flying or the first ranger female, you know, those first just start a, a conversation and they start a habit, but if it becomes something that you do, it becomes you and it's less awkward.
1: Fucking gold. Jesus. <laughs> this this is a- freaking- I'm in. I'm in. This I'm going to a- start a company and just hire you. I'm in. All right?
0: <laughs> this is a great conversation. This, yeah. is such, this is such a great topic to talk about because we can't afford to lose all this talent. We can't afford to, you know, the challenges we're facing are not freaking tiny. You know, we don't want to be blundering around with the tools from the 1950s. Right. So a couple of the points where you Try and have these programs as part of the business, have it professional, uh, keep it clear, keep it even for both male and female content location duration, include families and spouses in social events. And you're you know, you're just trying to make, make it not awkward and totally normal. And Liz's points there about find your advocate, don't trust everybody. As she became more experienced, she was more discerning on whom to trust. Terminate a relationship with the boundaries crossed. Um, own your own power. You've earned your position. Your opinions are valid. And the freaking great line, this is a valid concern and we need to address it. I hope that people are able to take some elements of this, be the listeners, male, female, military, not military, in the senior position or in the junior position. And uh, hopefully we can get some people in mentoring programs and getting some development done. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with Liz, is there anything, any part that hasn't come out yet that you wanted to drop off just before we wind up?
2: i um, just just know that you know sometimes your peers are not on board. They don't do the research. They don't hear the the podcast. They they don't read the books. They don't do anything, and they just want to keep an even kill. and And know that there are people out there that do not want to rock the boat. They do not want to see a female coming up because that challenges their abilities as a man or, or their abilities as a leader, they think that they're going to get bumped out. Um, So, so know that this is a path that isn't easy to follow, but it's very significant and you have people that make a difference in lives. I mean, just for me, In one year in Afghanistan, we saved over a hundred people and I never would have been there if those mentors in my life hadn't said, you can do this. You can be a pilot. You can succeed. You can do your dreams. I will help you. I will get you anything that you need. I'll sit you down and do the scholarship application. And really that was my first steps going on there. And years from then, I've saved hundreds of lives at this point and you know these are your brothers and sisters that may have never made it back if i hadn't landed there i mean if it wasn't me i'm not sure who would have been there or the decisions we make make an organization and pull it from a failing organization to a striving organization there are different types of of significant impacts that one person can make and if you really invest in that one person uh, you make the organization as a whole grow.
3: You know, I'd like to, I mean, that's, that's gold and, and just something that's popping up that I just want to put out there. Um, after I left Afghanistan and I was at home, there was a, a guy that I knew named, named Matt. And uh, I, he was the f- first funeral I took part in, uh, in my community. And uh That pilot is on this conversation right now, and also the female flight medic that was in the back working on him to save his life. Uh, Two females trying to fight to save a guy like me. Um, Ultimately, he passed, but just knowing, uh, which is very hard for me, but (laughs) hearing the stories about what they were doing to try and and save his life, uh, I didn't care. That they were females, I knew them both personally, and I knew that they were breaking their backs to do everything that they could to get Matt home and alive. And um, I remember being at his funeral and talking to Matt's parents uh, after we buried Matt afterwards, and it it felt cheap, kind of coming from me, but I I was there to speak on behalf of of Liz and the, the medic, and. I was just like, they, they sent their condolences. I just want you to know that they did absolutely everything in this world possible to try to save your son. And that brought him like comfort, you know, that his, these people were there coming to swoop into the middle of hell and, and pull this, you know, their son out and and do everything they could. I mean, that's, there, there's nothing more that you could ask uh, as a human being, as an American, as, as a member of the military. And uh I just want to make that point that there was uh, you know, Liz flying and uh and a female medic that that were in the back that day. So that's very personal to me.
0: And I just wanted to share that with everybody. Wow. So that's the effect of two mentors on Liz back in the day. So to all those guys in the senior positions, I think it we've all got to take a long hard look at ourselves and step into this gap. All right, guys, from all of us to all of you, take care and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.